1 Samuel 28, if you'd um, find your place there. 1 Samuel. It's been a while since you found your place in 1 Samuel. So it may give you a little bit more time here tonight, right? Boy, it's been a while since we've been in 1 Samuel. I've been looking forward to getting back to it. <clears throat> Just a lot of special things going on. And, and uh, so it may take us a little bit to get back into it, but I think, I think it'll uh, be a, obviously a great help for us. So 1 Samuel 28, let's begin reading in verse number one, and we'll read through We'll go ahead and read through verse 20, and I'll just reference the end of the chapter. It says, And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together to, for warfare to fight with Israel. Um, and Achish said unto David, Know thou assuredly that thou shalt go out with me to battle thou and thy men. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. In other words, he said, I'm in. Now, we've got to be mindful of this, that he's in Gath with Achish, the king of the Philistines, and he's siding up with them against Saul and Israel. This is a really bad spot for David to be in, obviously. Therefore will I take, therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head, Forever, said Achish, I'm sorry, to David. Uh, verse three. Now Samuel was dead and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. And the Philistines gathered themselves together as we even read in verse 1 and 2, and came and pitched in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa, a little bit south of there, right around the Jezreel Valley. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not. Well, that's a bad place to be in life, isn't it? Where you're not hearing from God. Neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. You tried evidently all those avenues. Then said Saul unto his servants, notice this please, this gets weird. Seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may go to her and inquire of her and his servant said to him, Behold, there is a woman that hath a familiar spirit at Endor. And Saul disguised himself and put on other raiment. And he went and two men with him and they came to the woman by night. Everybody see that? It's a dark hour. It's a dark hour in Saul's life. He came by night under the cover of darkness and he, and he said, I pray thee divine unto me by the familiar spirit and bring me up, bring me him up whom I shall name unto thee. And the woman said unto him, behold, thou knowest what Saul hath done. Boy, does he. I mean, she's talking to Saul. You know what Saul has done. Uh, how he hath cut off those that have familiar spirits and the wizards out of the land. Wherefore then last thou a snare for my life to cause me to die. And Saul, notice this, this is, actually this is blasphemous. 
Saul, Saul swear to her by the Lord, so uses God's name, saying, as the Lord liveth, there shall no punishment happen to thee for this thing, which under Old Testament law was a capital punishment. And Saul is saying, by the name of Jehovah, you won't die. We had no authority to say that, but that's what he said. All right, verse 11. Then said the woman, whom shall I bring up unto thee? And he said, bring me up Samuel. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice. She shrieked, she screamed. And, and the woman spake to Saul saying, why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. And the king said unto her, be not afraid. For what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, what form is he of? And she said, an old man cometh up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered him, I am sore distressed for the Philistines make war against me. You see this? I want you to see in verse 15, just how self-centered the man is still. The Philistines have made war against me and God has departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. It's a man in great desperation, right? Then said Samuel, wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord is departed from thee and is become thine enemy? And a little bit late for this, Saul, you didn't listen to me when I was with you. Why you want to listen now? And the Lord hath done, so, uh, done to, to him as he spake by me. I'm in verse 17. For the Lord hath rent the kingdom out of thine hand and given it to thy neighbor, even to David, because, verse 18, because thou obeyest, obeyest not the voice of the Lord, nor executeth his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day, and then he gives him this pronouncement in verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with thee unto the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow shalt thou and thy sons be with me. And the Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell straightway along on the earth and was sore afraid because of the words of Samuel and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no bread all, that, all the day, nor all the night. And so then, just, to, just not to read all the chapter, verse 21 and following, the woman basically, um, she says, you've got to eat. And so she encourages him to eat. He says, I won't eat. His men encourage him to eat. And she fed him a fatted calf meal. It was his last supper. Unleavened bread, fatted calf. I want you to look at the very last verse, verse 25. She brought it before Saul and before his servants and they did eat. Then they arose up. Then they rose up and went away that night. What a tragic ending. What an unnecessary, an unnecessary ending. 
hope everybody here will take heed tonight. I hope, I hope tonight that maybe like even this morning, I mentioned this, that it'd be preventative. I pray that it would be. I pray that it would be. But if, if tonight you, you found yourself in a dark place, hey, look, let's, let's just be, let's just be um, very straightforward here tonight and saying, and allow me to say this, you can be in church and still be in a really dark place, spiritually speaking. And if you're in a dark place, there's still hope, but you got to know what you ought to do. I think things could have ended differently for Saul had he taken a different route. But he didn't. You say, well, he inquired of the Lord. Well, let's talk about that. Here's uh, the title tonight in our series, When a Nation Needs Revival. And I'm just calling it this, a prepositional phrase. Here it is, in a really dark place. In a really dark place. May God help us tonight as you consider this with me. You may be seated. I was in a really dark place. Have you heard somebody say that? Maybe you've said it yourself. I was in a really dark place. I was in a really dark place. I'm not trying to be too heavy. I mean, today's kind of been one of those days. I don't, I don't know. I just, I preached this morning on, woe unto you scribes, hypocrites, uh, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you know, and <clears throat> okay, it's just, it's, it's, today's the day, right? It's just a heavy day. Yeah. But you know, um, the reality is, is that I think you live long enough, you'll probably get in a dark place in life. How do you get there? What brought Saul to such a dark place? In fact, I'd actually like to review the life of David too, because David is actually mentioned in verses one and two, and then it's almost like the, the Holy Spirit narrating this, in the text, puts the story of David on pause and is going to pick it up in chapter 29. But here he deals with basically the last message to Saul from Samuel. But what would cause a man to stoop to such a low spot? What would bring him to such a low place? And I, I, don't, I don't know tonight. I, I mean, I know I'm, I'm preaching to a faithful congregation. I know that you're in church on a regular basis. There's some that are just getting, getting maybe regular, getting faithful. And, and, and that's a real blessing. But I, I would imagine that anybody here that's been in a dark place would say, Preacher, I, I've been there and it's not pleasant. It's difficult. And it may have been a dark spot that was in your marriage or dark place in your family or dark place when you were out of church. There's no guarantee that any of us will be in church a year from now. I mean, all that has to happen is just for us to make a series of wrong decisions and we'd be right there where a lot of people are that are out of church. In fact, I think right now there's some people that were here even a few years ago that now they're in a dark spot spiritually. It could have been related to substance abuse and that, that's only gonna um, aggravate it, make it worse alcohol and drugs is only a mask or only a uh, temporary fix to problems. They don't make things better. They only make it worse, but certainly it's life choices that bring a person to a, a dark place. Uh, it may be where you've doubted God, even doubted God's existence. Um, it could be some suicidal thoughts that people have had and, and uh, don't think that believers are exempt from those thoughts. Um, 
Elijah himself prayed that God would take him and take his life. And, and others in the Bible were, were very, uh, had moments of depression. Uh, don't, don't, don't think that somehow that even as believers that uh, we're exempt from even depression. I mean, uh, there's going to be some dark times. The thing is, you got to know what to do in those times, right? You got to know what to do in those times. It's not like you're not a Christian because you have some dark moments. Okay. It's uh, so imperative that you and I would understand what to do. And, and so it may be you were in a bad relationship. And I mean, it just went from bad to worse. And maybe you, you were uh, swinging from one relationship to another. And, and, and so uh, it, it could be you got to a really dark place in life. And, and I think we certainly don't have to build a strong case to make it clear that both David and Saul were there. But isn't it true that the outcome of their lives were totally different. You have David in a really dark, dark place in life, and you have Saul in a very dark place in life. In fact, I'd say this would be the darkest moment of Saul's life, and, and, and no doubt it would rank among the lowest points of David's life. We're about to come to where even his men are about to stone David uh, at Ziglag because um, uh, because of what happened there. We'll get to that in another message. But I mean, that was a really low point in David's life, but there's a lot of other low points in David's life. And so what do you do? What do you do when you're in a really dark place? Well, some of what you do is knowing what not to do. So I want to try to deal with that. What you ought not to do if you're in a really dark place in life. I mean, you can even get in, in a dark place in church. I, I've already referenced that a little bit, but let me elaborate on what I mean there is, is that you can kind of get out of sorts even with your own church family and you can even be here somewhat out of obligation, but you're in, you're not, your spirit's not right about it. And you just, I mean, really, if you had your druthers, if you had your choice, or if, it, if you were just totally free, you may not even be here right now. I don't know. I'm not trying to be dramatic. Please don't think, I, I hope you don't think I'm a dramatic pastor. Okay. That's not it. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm just trying to say it is highly possible that you'll find yourself in a dark place or you're in a dark place right now. And I want to tell you something. There's help and there's hope. There's help and there's hope. Can I, can I back way up here? Not, I'm not going all the way back to Genesis, but can I, can I, can I get a little bit of a run at this? And and, and, and just to acknowledge, I mean, because really, if, if we're talking about where Saul's life came to, where he goes to basically a witch who's going to do necromancy or going to have communication with the dead and would speak from the dead to the living as a go-between, a mediator, a medium, how in the world do you get to a place where at one time, as the text pointed out, he had, he had removed all those that practiced the occult from the land because he knew it wasn't right because Leviticus and Deuteronomy and, and other passages make it very clear that as believers, we're not to have anything to do with the occult and we're not to have anything to do with witches and, and Ouija boards and novels and movies and music. I mean, so much even today is, is related to the occult. And listen, don't, don't think, I mean, God didn't tell him not to do that because it was a hoax. He didn't tell him not to do that because it was a hoax because the demonic world is a real world that is a very dangerous world and you don't tamper with it. 
I say, you don't tamper with it. And demon possession and all these things are, are real. And, and so God didn't tell him don't do that because it was a hoax. He told them not to do that because really they're supposed to turn to him, not to, to other sources when you're in a difficult spot in life. You don't go to somebody that does tarot cards. You don't go to somebody that's dabbling in the occult. And back then they were looking into livers and, and they were doing some really whacked out stuff to try to hear from the dead. And I mean, we're, we're in a society even today that's infatuated with haunted houses and, and seeking the ghost and all kinds of things like that. Listen, I'm just telling you, that's not something you mess around with, friend. It's really not. Let me back up here because I'm, I'm trying to see, get the big scene here. How do you go, how do you get to a place where you're going to a witch, even though you were one that had removed all the witches and the necromancers from the land? How do you go from that? Well, way back here in the first part of his history, he was the first king of Israel. And the way he became the king of Israel is because Israel had been doing that, which was right in their own eyes. And, and so they were tired of the way that Samuel had been running things. And, and, and so they wanted a king like all the other nations. And and God gave them what they wanted when they didn't want him. I'm pausing for effect there right there because that's important for us to understand that the worst thing that could happen to you is for you to get what you want at a time when you're not really delighting in God. And Israel was not, wanting, was not delighting in God and they wanted a king. The pro, that was not the problem that they wanted a king because God plan to give him a king, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 17, I believe it is, that is pointed out about the rules for the king. And, and so God would give them a king. I mean, come on, you think about the line of the tribe of Judah. He's going to give them a king. The problem is that they wanted a king like all the other nations had a king. They wanted a king that was strong and mighty, a king that would lead them into battle, a king that would see the Philistines and not run. Thank you, Brother Luke, you caught that. Here was Saul, terrified. But they wanted a king that would get in that chariot and roll over the Philistines. Well, God gave them what they wanted. And they found out in a hurry that when you're not delighting in God, that's the worst thing you could get. So Saul was, was very much a self-centered from the very beginning. He had his ups and downs and he was all over the place. And, and so really, we could say this with great authority that Saul was really the people's choice that God allowed them to have. David, on the other hand, was anointed by God, by Samuel, to be the king of Israel after Saul. And he was God's choice, a man after God's own heart. And so David, though, isn't it true that David had his ups and downs? And David was on again and off again, on again and off again. David himself. David was about maybe um, late teen. Um, I'm going by this. David was 30 years old when he became the king of Israel. Okay, the king of Judah, as he, as he becomes the king of Israel, he's 30 years old. Well, at the time when he was fighting Goliath, then he was but a youth, right? I, I don't know the age right there, but, but it's been a long time because that was age 17. He's going to become king. This is uh, maybe two or three years out from this scene that we're reading about in 1 Samuel 28. So a long time has passed. And so David himself has been under a lot of duress. Isn't that right? And so... Um, People started singing David's praises and, and, and Saul has killed his thousand. David has killed his ten thousands. David evidently was of marriageable age right here, but he was the youngest of his family and, and ruddy and such. And so anyways, he came into, into the palace to live under Saul's authority. And, and Saul wanted to really get rid of David because he was jealous of David. And, and so he tried to get rid of David by having David lead into battle against the Philistines. And lo and behold, David was victorious. And so that didn't work. And so then he tried the javelin job. 
and that didn't work. He couldn't hit him. And he missed him once and he missed him twice. And, and then he tried a lot of other things. He sent men to his house to try to kill David. And then, then, the, then these uh, probably, I think Warren Wiersbe said about seven years that David spent on the run from, from 1 Samuel chapter 21. And, and I'm just simply saying this, that even David himself, David himself had some really dark moments. He lied to Ahimelech, the priest. Remember that in Nob? He lied to the priest, telling him he was on an errand from the king when he really wasn't. And what happened, beloved, is that resulted in the death of that priest and 85 priests, and only one of them escaped and made his way all the way to David with ephod. Remember that? I know it's been a long time, but that's what happened. And so David had a low point right there. And, and so David is in hiding. In, there, in fact, in the, close to that same chapter, David went down to the Philistines. And he thought they were going to kill him. And so he acted like a madman and started scratching on the wall and foaming at the mouth. You talk about a dark place in his life. Acting like a crazy guy. King David went from playing the harp to, to uh, scratching on the walls. That's a dark moment. And the prophet Gad came and preached the message to David, basically saying this, if you allow me to paraphrase right here, he said to David, David, what in the world are you doing here? You ever have a preacher say that to you? Or a friend that said that to you? What in the world are you thinking? What in the world are you doing? Why in the world are you doing that? Why, are, why aren't you in church? Where you been? <laughs> are we doing all right? Where you been? Where are you at? Why aren't you really down into this? Where in the world are you? Why are you living for yourself? Why are you living for this world when you know God's got his call in your life? You get back up in Judah. I like Gad. <laughs> he preached. And, but here's, here's the point I'm trying to get to. In a very dark moment, David was confronted by the word of God. Everybody listen up in there. Everybody listen right here. David was confronted by the word of God. And when confronted, he repented and got right and got back where we ought to be. And so then he was still on the run. He's running in the wilderness of Judea and going from cave to cave. And in fact, he even had an opportunity to kill Saul twice, but he did not kill the Lord's anointed. And, and I mean, he's just been through all that. And then, and then David comes to another low point in his life. And you know what he does? He thinks, he says to himself, and this is where we left off uh, back a couple months ago when we were in the series, the danger of listening when you're talking to yourself. Remember that? the danger of listening when you're talking to yourself. And David said to himself, you know what, it'd be better for me to go down to Gath into the land of the Philistines. It would be to say here uh, where Saul is. If I go down there, and then he's not going to find me down there because he's not going to come down the land of the Philistines. And David, who knew better, got out of the will of God and went back down to Gath and gave his services to the king there named Achish. And Achish gave him Ziklag and David had to lie to him and say, Achish would ask, so where'd you fight today, David? And David gave the impression, gave, in fact, just told boldface lie that he'd been fighting against Judah in this region when really he'd been fighting against some of the remaining Canaanites, basically, that were in the land. And so he had to lie. I'm talking about David. David was out of God's will. David was in a dark place. David was on the side of the Philistines because, because David was at a place where he was living his life based on his emotions. David was at a place where he's living out of fear. It may be that I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to speculate right here. 
Maybe he's thinking something like this. Maybe he's thinking something like this where Saul, his own king, has been against him. His own countrymen, if you remember that, some of those inhabitants of Judah had reported him out to Saul and basically betrayed him. I mean, he's being treated this way by God's people and maybe even across his mind. Now, I can't prove this one right here. I'm just using it as a little bit of an illustration for us that if that's the way that God's people are gonna treat me, then I'm gonna go to the enemy. You know, it'd be easy for you and I to kind of get in the same spot spiritually where if that's the way that I'm going to be treated there at that church, then I'm going to get out of that. Again, I'm not saying that's exactly what was in David's heart and mind because I know in David's heart and mind, he's thinking, I'm going to save my hide. Okay, now that's a big time paraphrase right there. I'm going to save my life. I'm going to take things in my own hands. When, when, oh, my soul, he didn't have to do that. All he had to do was just trust God but I'm not here to be hard on David because I've been there before too, haven't you? Where, where you know what God will do and you've seen even what God will do. And yet in that moment, in that dark spot in your life, you think I better do something about this. Right. And you put yourself in a real bad spot in a really dark place spiritually. And it's so bad for David that Achish says, hey, David, I, this time I want you to go with me because then David couldn't tell a lie about where he'd been. He says, I want you to go with me and we're going to fight against Israel. And David said, you'll see what your servant will do. That's what he said. He, he's basically saying, I'll show you. Okay, so we're going to put it on pause right there with David's life. But this is the same battle that we're reading about in chapter number 28. Does everybody understand that? So you, you got the Jezreel Valley there and you got Mount Gilboa at the very south end of it. We, we drove past it. It was kind of cool being there, seeing Bethshean and, and, and such, which is right where the, the army of Israel is on the northern side of that, that mountain, that tall mountain, Mount Gilboa on the south part. Okay, let me pull the map down. Everybody see it right here on the very bottom. You got Megiddo in the middle and you got, and you got Mount Carmel there uh, to the west and you can look out and you can see Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon, or Mount Hermon's the other way, to the north and you got Mount Gilboa to the south. And so that's where Israel is, is way down here on the south. But here's what happened. The Philistines have come up and they're above even where Israel is, closer to Mount, uh, Mount Tabor in that area. And so this is the farthest north that the Philistines have been. The other fights have been further south. You still see the map? Is it out of the picture here? They're, they've been fighting. <laughs> okay, that's silly. Okay, I know. But they've been fighting down south, but now they're way up here. Here's why. Because if they can get that trade route, that's a major victory because army after army have tried to control the valley of Megiddo, which is Armageddon coming to be. That's where this fight's taking place. So Saul is on Mount Gilboa looking north and he sees this massive, massive army of the Philistines like grasshoppers across the land. He can see them, that Jezreel Valley. You can just look out there, it's flat. It's a great place to fight. If you're up for one. You know what Saul could have done? Saul could have said this, you know, it was in this very location. And it was. We went while we were there, we went to the Herod Springs, which is where Gideon and the men went and they drank and, and some of them, we you know, were disqualified. But it was in that very place, in that very place where 300 men were against an innumerable host that was there. And Saul could have said, you know what? God delivered Gideon into 300. We've got more than 300. And one of us could chase a thousand if he was right with God. But he wasn't right with God. And he was terrified. And here's what he did. 
He wanted to know what God told him to do. He, and that sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? Because even unspiritual people can act spiritual in some of those tough, dark moments of life. And he wanted to know what God wanted him to do. He, the, is it into the text? Help me out here just a minute. He inquired of the Lord. Isn't that what the text says? He inquired of the Lord. He inquired. That means he's asking questions. He's asking, what shall I do? In fact, here's, why, here's how we can understand what he's asking. If you remember what he asked, saw, if you remember what he asked Samuel, Samuel, what shall I do? This, the Philistines have come against me. Well, they came against Israel, not just against you. They came against Israel, not just against him. But you know, when you're in a spiritually dark place, the only person you're really thinking about is you. They've come against me. All this is happening to me. All this is going on in my life. All this is happening to me. And so he inquired of the Lord, what shall I do? I'm just saying that's the question that he asked Samuel. So if that's the question that he asked Samuel, I dare say that that's basically the question that he's asking God, what shall I do? And he, and he hoped that maybe God would reveal something by a dream. I don't know if then he went to sleep and hoping he'd have a dream that would give him some kind of revelation. I don't know about that. But then he wanted to know by Urim. Now, wait a minute. You got to think about this here just a minute. Evidently, that was another ephod that had been constructed for Saul because the other ephod that had been from the tabernacle had gone down to where David is. And so Saul didn't have access to that priest anymore because he'd wiped them all out. He cut off his own communication from God. Don't get in your minds, man. God's being mean not talking to Saul. Saul had done this to himself. He cut off the priest. He got rid of that ephod. He evidently had another one made because he knew he needed to hear somehow. What a twisted thought. And then the prophets weren't speaking to him. And nobody was giving him any kind of direction. God wasn't speaking to him. He inquired of God. But listen here. Listen this, this evening here. He, he inquired of God, but he did not, in that dark spiritual moment, he did not repent. And when you just ask questions and you don't repent, you're only left with the same questions. And it does not matter how many meetings you go to or services you go to or people that you talk to or sermons that you listen to. Is this making sense right here? Or seminars that you attend or even prayers that you pray and journals that you write and things that you try to figure out and even get spiritual people involved. It does not matter if you are not willing to repent and say, God, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I've been rebellious. I've been disobedient. And now the Philistines are coming up in a bad way. And God, if you don't help me right here, we're all going to die. Now, I'll tell you what, dear friends, I think if Saul had got along with God like that and said, dear God, I've been a wretched sinner. I've been self-centered. I've been doing my own thing. I've been thinking my own way. I've been my own man. But God, I've been wrong. I want to ask you to forgive me. I think God would have gave him some help right there. But he inquired of God and he didn't repent towards God. And so when he heard nothing from God, then he said, well, fine, I'll turn to the other side. And he knew, here, here's, I think, his train of thought. There's only one person that can really help me right here, and he's dead. Whew. There's a lot to think about right here. I think David would have helped him. 
had he not pushed David away. You know, you might be spiritually in the place where you have no friends because you've done this to yourself. You've cut off everybody. You've pushed out everybody. And now, now you're crying about the dark place that you're in when really it's your own attitude and choices and ways that have cut you off from the help that you could have had. Your parents could have helped you, but you've pushed them away. Your Sunday school teacher could have helped you, but you've pushed them away. A godly friend could have helped you, but you've pushed them away because you are going your own way. Now, I don't have my gun or gospel gun aimed at anybody particular in here tonight. But I know that in times when I've gotten a spiritually bad spot, it wasn't my preacher's fault. And it wasn't the church's fault. And it wasn't my mom's fault. And it wasn't, it wasn't anybody else's fault. Okay. It wasn't God's fault. It was my fault. Because my lack of listening to God, and I, I want to say it to you, your lack of listening to God has led to wrong decisions and that has you now where you are, I'm just simply saying, if you are in a spiritually dark place, you're there because you stopped listening to God, started doing what you wanted to do, and, and now you are where you are, and this is either gonna end like it did for Saul or it's gonna end like it did for David. Both of them got to the same place. David got there because he stopped listening to what God said and started doing what he thought would be best. Is that right? Same thing, same thing. I'll say it one more time, same thing. He's doing exactly the same thing that Saul was doing and he ended up in a spiritual dark place where he is suited up and on the enemy's side about to attack his own people if he followed through with it. He's in a spiritually dark place. He's leaving and so you may be here at a spiritually dark place where you're ready to leave church or you're ready to quit serving God. You're ready, to, you're ready just to give it up because you're at this place. Well, listen, don't, don't look back and blame everybody else for your spot right there. How about you do this? Take personal responsibility and say, God, I am where I am today because of the choices that I've made. It's not anybody else's fault in here. I believe if you do that, the outcome of your life will be quite a bit different than it was for Saul. I know it's quiet in here, but I think that's why that's because the Spirit of God may be working in some hearts right here. So Saul said, there's only one man that can help me and he's dead. And there's only one way to get to him. And that's through a necromancer. That's through somebody that's a medium, a, a spiritual, a, a, somebody that practices spiritism. I, I know that I ran them all off the land because that was the right thing to do. But now I got to turn to one. Did you hear that? Here's a man who knew that what he did back then was right to get rid of all that. And now he's turning back to it. That's exactly how you are when you're in a spiritually dark place because you know those things should have been out of your life. But you get in a spiritually dark place, you're liable to go back to some of those exact same things that you once preached against or taught against or stood against. 
He called the men and said, is there, a, is there a woman here that practices with a familiar spirit? And I don't know what kind of objections they gave, if any. The text doesn't tell us they gave us any, gave him any, because they could have said, you know, actually, sir, uh, you ran them all out. But evidently, they didn't run them all out because they knew where one was. I wonder how they knew where she was. Huh? I wonder how they knew where she was. And he said, well, I want to go see her. And so he put on a disguise. Okay, look, when you're doing wrong, you have to hide. Yeah, if, if, if where you're going to go to get this fixed, you have to hide to do it. If you got to slip out. If you're gonna, if you're gonna say, man, this is so bad, I gotta, I gotta go to the, I gotta go to the liquor, liquor store, and, and you're gonna kind of hide getting there, huh? You're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. If and, and, and if okay, well, that's pretty drastic. Well, if you're gonna go say visit a, another, you're gonna go visit another church, but you're not gonna let anybody know about it. I'm slipping out of here. Well, well, wait a minute. If you're doing right, why can't you just be open about it? Yeah, that's right. Again, I'm not preaching with anybody in mind here. I really am not. I'm just simply saying this, this happens. This happens when you get in a spiritually dark place. And, and so they are just, he disguised himself. I think he disguised himself for two reasons. One, he didn't want her to recognize who he was because she knew that he had outlawed that. Number two, he's going, let me get the map back down. He's going from the south up to the north about six to 10 miles. I've seen two numbers that are there. Six to 10 miles north, crossing enemy, crossing enemy lines, close at least by where the Philistines are to the north. So he had to slip by them so he couldn't go up there looking like a king. So he slipped up there and, and he asked her to call up who he wanted. And, and she said, now you know what Saul said. You know, I think that was a little bit of a prick in his heart and mind. You know what Saul has done. That kind of registered with me. You know what Saul has done. I don't know all that it would have crossed his mind right there, but it surely he could have said, yeah, I know what Saul has done. Maybe a whole flashback of self-centered decisions flooded his mind. You know what Saul has done. And maybe even the reason, I, I'm speculating again, I'll tell you when I'm speculating then when I'm preaching, but I'm speculating here, maybe even the reason that he got rid of all those wizards and, and necromancers and so forth was to look good in the eyes of the people like he was some kind of a spiritual giant. Because evidently I, we know this for sure. I'm not speculating here. We know he was not a spiritual giant. So maybe he's trying to look good in the eyes of the people because maybe he went to camp and he got things right and, and he wanted to get rid of all those, all those uh, wicked, ungodly occult CDs or, or off his playlist. It, and he cleaned house, but it wasn't really in his heart. Now he goes back to, to the necromancer and, and she says, well, you know what Saul has done? And he, and he says, by the life of Jehovah, by, Je by the Lord God, you, nothing will happen to you. He couldn't really say that, beloved. He couldn't really say that because God had said that the ones who do this shall die. That was not Saul's command. That was God's command. She says, fine. Who do you want? Samuel. And whatever process she went through to conjure up the dead and whether or not 
she was able to do that in times previous. This was a real situation that I believe God allowed and even enabled that evidently even scared the life out of her. As she shrieked and said, ah, this worked. Like she wasn't faking this time. Because evidently, you know, people would pay her and she could tell them whatever she wanted to say. Same thing a palm reader can do today. Anyways. But she said, ah, Saul. She knew it was Saul. Because maybe in her mind, she thought only Saul could get something like this to happen. And so he said, never mind. Who'd you see? She said, I saw God's ascending up out of the, out of the area there. And, and I, I don't even know all that that means, but here's what I do know. He asked her, who did you see? And he, she said, it's an old man with a mantle. That's him. And look what Saul did. The Bible says that he even got low and he bowed before him. And Samuel said, why have you disturbed me? <laughs> because I'm sore distressed. Isn't that something? I, I, I don't feel qualified to explain all that's going on in this passage, but I know what the Bible's saying, I think very clearly here. And God gave, Sam, God gave Saul one more prophetic message from Samuel. And it wasn't what he wanted to hear. Because when you are not repentant, you're not going to hear from God what you want to hear. Everybody listen to this. When you're not right with God spiritually and you're not repentant, then don't think that the message is gonna bless your heart. Don't think that things are just gonna be great and, and that God's gonna tell you what you want to hear so that your little world can get back in order. No, friend, until he brings you to repentance, which he wants to do, which you can come to. And until you come to repentance, then you're not going to hear from God what you're going to want to hear from God because the only message that he can speak to you is this message of repentance. You're doing wrong. You know you're not where you ought to be. I love you. My love for you has not changed, but I cannot give you what you want until you repent. Or I'll give you what you want without repentance and you'll find out it's not what you really want. Did you follow that line of thinking right there? And Samuel basically says to Saul, Saul, it's too late for this. You disobeyed God. Verse 18 is a key. You've disobeyed God and you've had no repentance. So I'm, I'm, I'm saying to us tonight, based on this text, you get in a spiritually dark place in your life when you don't listen to God and that turns into a series of, of choices and decisions on your part that leads you to some places that really ought to be spots of repentance, but you don't repent. And so you go deeper and deeper and further and further in a dark place and you can't see. In fact, I'm gonna to say to you tonight, if you are in a spiritually dark place and your soul is not right with God, your spirit is not right with God, don't make major life decisions right there. Don't do it. Don't decide if you're going to keep serving God or not. Don't decide right there if you're going to, if you're going to uh, stay in the marriage or not. Don't decide. I mean, you need to stay in the marriage. I know you understand what I'm saying. I'm saying don't leave that. Don't walk away. Don't, don't make these major life changes here when you are in a bad place spiritually. Amen. 
Repent. Because we're going to see that David repented and he got out of Gath. He got back where he ought to be and God used him. Oh, my soul did God use him. But God said to Saul, Saul, it's not going to go like you want it to go. In fact, all of Israel is going to lose to the Philistines. They're going to get control of that area for a time being. And you're going, to, you're going to be with me, Samuel said. Can you imagine this message? You're going to be where I am. That's where you're going to be tomorrow. And your sons. He's going to lose his whole dynasty because he would not repent. The Bible says that then he just sprawled out on the floor. William Blakey said this, joyless, helpless, and hopeless. Not even wanting to eat. Knowing that tomorrow is his last day on earth. And evidently still didn't repent. a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. When he works to get your attention because you're not living right, don't you dismiss it and say, well, that's just that preacher's opinion. It wasn't Samuel's opinion. It was God's word. I don't know tonight if you're in a spiritually dark place or not. That's between you and God. I know a lot of people here who have been here, been there before. Can I get a show of hands? Yep. How many of you would agree? It wasn't through me going through a bunch of meetings and sermons and messages and trying to figure it out but it basically boiled down to this. I had to repent. And once I repented, then God gave some answers that I really needed. I don't know how you got there exactly, except just that you stopped listening to God and made choices on your own. That's where you got spiritually. That's the same for everybody. But here's, here's really what you need to think about. Do you want your life story to end like Saul's or like David's? Was David perfect the rest of his life? No, he hit some low points again. But thank God he repented and got back right with God. Saul will die upon his own sword because he would not get right when God graciously spoke to him and gave him opportunity even to repent. If you're going the wrong way on I-40 and you realize it, here's what do. Take the next exit. Go across the interstate. Get back on the other way and head the right direction. Don't do this. I know I'm going the wrong way but I think I can figure it out and just keep driving and driving and driving and getting further and further and further 
away from God. Repent. Come back. You won't regret that. But on the authority of the word of God, you'll regret continuing your own way. Let's stand together here tonight. Thank you for your kind attention. I have the sense that God just kind of cleared off a spot for us here tonight. I don't, I don't know all the background to it. I don't know why. Even our series has been postponed for basically two months for us to consider this passage at this time. But I trust that if, if you're here tonight and you know God had that just for me, then you know what to do. God, I come to you. And Lord, um, in many ways, my heart goes out to Saul. It's sad, it's tragic. And it didn't have to end that way. I pray, God, that you'd help each of us to take spiritual inventory as to where we are. Lord, um, please help us here tonight. Lord, help, help some member that's gone astray. Even in their heart, Lord, I know that we leave in our hearts first before we leave with our bodies. So please help us there. I thank you for dealing with me out of this passage and, and the Lord uh, that you compassionately lead us to repentance. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.